Welcome to the second episode of the podcast of Lifeliner, The Judy Taylor Story. I am the author, Shireen Jijiboy. Chapter 2. Shunts. Saliva and blood spew out as the man coughs, startling his father, doctor, and nurses. I can't breathe! Dr. Kursheed and Gigi Boy picks up the man's wrist, feels his rapid pulse, sees the sweat bead out on his forehead, and knows. Damn! His patient is throwing clots, probably from his ulnar veins where the shunt is implanted, and forming pulmonary emboli. They are killing him. Quickly, he directs the residents and nurses to action to try to dissolve these clots, but it's 1970, and treatment options are limited. Fury fills him at this unnecessary complication. The shunt is supposed to save his patient's life, not kill him. This kind of medicine is not what he has been raised to do. Gigi Boy started his journey to practicing medicine in Toronto as a junior gastroenterologist at Toronto General Hospital, TGH on August 26, 1935, in Rangoon, Burma. The first living child born to a prosperous lawyer and a musically talented mother, and the grandson of lawyers and doctors, he spent his first seven years learning from his devoted maternal grandparents and being cosseted by the servants. His only sister died at 18 months of a fit. After more miscarriages, his mother once again became successfully pregnant with his only brother. At the same time, the Japanese invaded Burma, causing the entire family to flee to India in 1942. His father with the army overland and him, his pregnant mother and maternal grandmother, along with a motley group of refugees in a Dakota airplane flown by Chinese pilots. As they approached the Burma-India border, the Indian Air Force flew out to fight off the Japanese attackers. He went from a cushy life to an uncertain, nomadic one in India. He determined to become self-sufficient. He also decided to follow in his grandmother's footsteps. He had the innate talent, and she had instilled in him good work habits and taught him that his Zoroastrian faith required him to always look for the divine in his decisions, to think good thoughts so that his words would be good, and to speak good words so that his words would lead to good actions, actions that would help and heal his fellow human beings. He shot through school quickly, passed the equivalent of grade 13 final exams at 13 years old, and was admitted to Christian Medical College in Bellore, India, at such a young age that he had to study economics and political science for two years in university before being old enough to commence his medical studies. He briefly flirted with surgery, but surgeons have to start too early in the day for his taste, before settling on gastroenterology. He earned his PhD at London University in England and met my mother, his future wife, at West Middlesex Hospital, where he was a house officer. They met because she got salmonella poisoning, not for the last time, and he was the one tasked to tend her. I was born a week before their first anniversary. Three months later, we were sailing for Bombay, India, where he intended to set up his practice. But life in India was not as he had envisioned it. The political atmosphere and restrictions chafed on him. A doctor from Canada on sabbatical in Bombay noticed and recommended him to Dr. Keith J.R. Whiteman, chair of the Department of Medicine at the University of Toronto and physician-in-chief at TGH. 
as a man well-suited for Whiteman's burgeoning gastroenterology department. All of a sudden, we, Gigi Boy, my father, my mother, my four-month-old brother, and I were moving to Toronto, Canada. My father struggled from 1968 to 1970 to build up a practice at TGH as only the second non-Anglo-Saxon staff member after his surgical colleague, Dr. Bernard Bernie Langer. As the newbie, he got the tough cases, the ones no one else wanted, like this man dying before him now. This man had been shuffled over to him because of his difficult condition, pseudo-obstruction. This ailment of the gut looks like a physically obstructed bowel, but is not. Still, it prevents the patient from digesting his food. Far from being daunted, Gigi Boy relished the challenge this man brought, and he desired to send his patient home healthy. When reviewing the case, he had realized that his new patient needed to be nourished for a long time through some method other than eating. The problem was that the current short-term artificial feeding he was using on Langer's post-operative patients would be insufficient. Looking for better methods of treating him, he talked to colleagues and then thumbed through the literature until he found a research paper in the prestigious Journal of the American Medical Association by Dr. Belding Scribner. Scribner described a new way to artificially feed people beyond the current standard of just a few days. He wrote that he had adapted his shunt, a silicone rubber and Teflon U-shaped device that allowed for continuing arteriovenous access for kidney dialysis and that had revolutionized the field of home hemodialysis to feed people a nutritional solution. He called it an artificial gut. Gastroenterologists around the world have been racing after the holy grail of artificial feeding, trying to overcome many problems, including the very big one of how to infuse a solution permanently through a vein. And here, Scribner seemed to have found it. Gigi Boy wasn't completely convinced about its efficacy, but in consulting with senior colleagues, he was advised to try it on this patient dying of pseudo-obstruction. And now, his patient is dying from the shunt. The man moans and grabs his chest. He loses consciousness. He dies. A cry rises from the corner where his father has been standing out of the way of those struggling to save his son's life. He turns on Gigi Boy, demanding to know why the gastroenterologist has just let his son die. Why did he have to use this technology, this shunt? Why did he have to die? Gigi Boy wants to know that, too. He tries to comfort the father, but the man has already turned his back collapsing at the side of his dead son's bed. Gigi Boy watches for a moment, compresses his lips, turns on his heels, and strides out of the room to the nurse's station, where he meets up with Pat Walker, the head nurse, who is thrilled to be working with and learning from such a talented physician, and with Langer. He tells him what has just happened. He cannot believe it. He had followed a leading researcher's findings to the letter, and it has killed his patient. His patient! Gigi Boy fumes silently for a moment and then declares, We cannot use this shunt again. I won't have my patients dying on me. We have to go back to the central line. We'll just have to start from scratch and do our own thing. He stalks back to his office. You have been listening to Lifeliner, the Judy Taylor story, a biography on a Canadian medical pioneer who made artificial feeding possible podcast by the author Shireen Boy, one chapter at a time. Music used for this podcast is I Like It Like That by Steph Sachs and The King Is Back by Echoed. 
licensed under Creative Commons. They can be found at dig.ccmixter.org under Instrumental Music for Film and Video. I hope you enjoyed this chapter. For more information or to leave a comment, please check out the website at ggboy.ca or the Twitter feed at Shireen J. So until next time, thank you for listening to Lifeliner. I'm Shireen Gigi Boy.